So turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. I had a little moment there. As Tim said, we don't shy away from the hard stuff. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what was in this passage that I missed? Because this isn't one of the hard ones. So uh, Galatians chapter 3, if you've been with us recently, we've been going through these sections where Paul's using examples from his own life to illustrate this point that he just hammers on over and over again in Galatians, that you're saved by faith in Christ. It's not anything you do. It's simply a gift from God. He's just going to say that over and over. We're going to shift now. He's done with the personal stories. He's going to do more of the kind of thing you expect if you've read other of Paul's letters. He's going to get into theology. He's going to start making arguments. He's going to start asking questions. He's going to start working with the Galatians to try and help them think through their faith and what they're doing. If you remember, there's some folks we think that are there at the church who've come along after Paul and said that, oh yeah, faith in Jesus, that's important, but that there's some other prerequisites, some other things you have to do. Jesus only saves people who are already Jews. So you need to be circumcised, you need to obey the law, you need to be a Jew, and then believe in Jesus. And, and Paul's just gonna say over and over again, absolutely not. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter where you were born, it's faith in Christ alone. So follow along with me. I'm gonna read the first 14 verses of chapter three of Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw this, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So, no more examples. He's talking directly to the Galatians. He starts, you foolish Galatians. Now, that's not a throwaway line. He's not just mad at them. For us, the root of the word foolish is fool. To be foolish is to act like a fool. In his language, the root of the word foolish is thinking, your your mind, your intellect. And it's the word thinking and the word not put together. He says, you Galatians, you're not thinking. You unthinking Galatians. Now, I really appreciate that. You know, Paul's gonna talk about faith. That's his whole message. You just have to believe. Stop thinking, you gotta do stuff. But when people come after him, when he's got opponents saying, no, you're wrong, that's not it. His response to them is not, oh, Galatians, you just need to believe more. Oh, Galatians, you just need to trust me. Stop listening to those guys. Just believe, just trust, have some faith. He says to them, you're not thinking. 
Listen to what these guys are telling you. You're not thinking. And the whole rest of this section is Paul helping them think. And how would you help, if you thought someone was making a bad decision, how would you help them think through it? I bet you'd do it exactly like what he's gonna do. You'd ask them some questions to try and kind of get at some different things that were going on, to point some stuff out to them they hadn't seen. You, you'll, you'll make some arguments for why you think you're right. You'll make some arguments. Hey, if you do this, look at what's gonna happen. He is gonna go through and he's gonna do exactly the sort of thing we do. So let's, let's walk through it with them. He says, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ, was clearly portrayed as crucified. The way he writes that, that's actually one sentence. We break it up in English to make it sound better. But it's, who has bewitched you before whose eyes you've seen these things? In Paul's language, you know, we have lots of words. We don't even believe in magic, and we have lots of words for magic in our world. Magic spells and magic potions, magic amulets and magic animals and all. He's got all the same stuff in his world. This word comes into English eventually as the word fascinate. It means you're being distracted. Somebody's, somebody's waving things in front of you. He says, you know, it was clearly portrayed. It's the language of posting something up on a bulletin board. You know, they don't have internet and newspapers and things like that. You ever seen those, those old movies in the Middle Ages? The guy, you know, has the pronouncement. He comes up to the board and he, he hammers it on so everyone can read it. That's what Paul's saying. You know that Jesus was crucified. You, and people told you, you saw the announcements. You know this happened. And somebody's waving. You know, it's like when you're trying to take a picture of a kid, you know, and you're like up there waving, ooh, look over here, look at me. Uh. So somebody's trying to do that to you. They're trying to fascinate you. They're trying to pull your eyes away from the reality. You know that Jesus was crucified. And somebody's trying to say to you, oh, that's not the important thing. And wow, is that still true today. Like you look in the last couple hundred years at churches that have started saying, well, it doesn't really matter if Jesus was a real person. It doesn't matter if these things actually happened. It, it's the spirit. It doesn't matter if he resurrected. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. And you know, those churches just, because they, they, they give up on the reality of Christ. Or, or, or you get these seminars to find the historical Jesus. Because of course, you know, you can't trust the Bible. Everybody knows that's myth. Okay. My parents paid a lot of money for me to get an education in the classics, archaeology, linguistics, and things like that. So I just need to rant for a moment. I apologize to all of you for whom this is not your thing. We'll be back to the regularly scheduled sermon in a moment. Okay? Have you ever heard of the Battle of Marathon? Anybody ever heard of the Battle of Marathon? It's where we get our modern marathon from. Seminal event in the history of the world. The Persians try and take over Greece. And 10,000 Greek soldiers beat probably 100,000 Persians. They're trying to make a beachhead at, at this beach on the plain of Marathon. And the Greeks beat them off and foil the Persian invasion of Greece. Anybody ever seen the movie The 300? The Battle of Thermopylae, the Spartans, right? Again, a few hundred Greek soldiers hold off a million Persians for so long that it lets the rest of Greece get their defenses together and the Persians try and invade and they fail. Now, all the Greeks in Thermopylae die, but they, they stop the Persians. You Google Battle of Thermopylae, Battle of Marathon, thousands of articles, hundreds of books written. It's huge. It's enormous. Again, if either of these fail, there's probably no Western civilization. If the Persians take over the Greeks, this is in 490 and 480 BC, the Persians take over there's no Plato, there's no Socrates, there's no Alexander the Great, there's no Aristotle. It, it's all gone. There's no Western civilization. How many sources do you think we have for the Battle of Marathon and the Battle of Thermopylae? 
How many guys in the ancient world write about it? One guy named Herodotus, writing in 430 BC. Lots of people write hundreds of years later. I'm talking about a contemporary event. He was not there, but he claims to have interviewed eyewitnesses in both those battles. We have one account. We have eight copies of that account existent today. The earliest one is from 900 AD, written, what, what is that, 1400 years after he wrote it in 430 BC, okay? But that's history, wow. Go on Wikipedia and write, well, the supposed battle of Thermopylae where the Spartans supposedly held off the Persians. Go to a conference somewhere in history and say, Oh, Herodotus, you know, he's just some Greek guy with an ax to grind. He had Persian envy, so he said, uh, oh, sure, we beat those Persians. Everybody know that? One guy reports that, okay? That's it. That's history, okay? We have four separate versions of the life of Christ, three Jews and one Greek. Two of them claim to be eyewitnesses, Matthew and John. Mark is not an eyewitness, but he's the personal secretary of Peter who was. Luke claims to be like Herodotus, he's a historian. He says, I wasn't there, so I interviewed people, right? We have four separate accounts. We have thousands. I mean that literally, thousands, tens of thousands of manuscript copies, right? The earliest copy of Herodotus we have is 1,400 years after he wrote it. The Gospel of John is written probably around 80 AD. We have people quoting it in 100 AD, and we have copies of it from 120 AD. 40 years later, we have manuscript copies of what John wrote. And people say, oh, that's conjecture, okay? The, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is the single most attested event in the world before the printing press. Battle of Hastings, French take over Europe, right? Elizabeth II, who just died, traces her descent to William the Conqueror, who won England in the Battle of Hastings. Three accounts, two French, one English. Oh, and a rug, don't forget a rug. There's a big rug on a wall called the Bayou Tapestry that has the pictures in this. That's history. No eyewitnesses. None of the people writing it were there, and none of them claimed to have interviewed anyone. They're just writing it. That's history. Get rid of the Christians. Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, contemporary, first century AD. He writes this guy named Jesus, traveling rabbi, Romans crucified him for insurrection. His followers claim he's still alive. Josephus doesn't believe it, he's a Jew. Tacitus, Roman historian, writing in Rome, first century, about all the problem these Christians are causing. This, this guy, Christus, they call him in Latin, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate when Pilate was governor of Judea for insurrection, and now all, thousands of people claim he's alive. They're turning the city upside down. Forget the Christians. The Jews and the Romans agree that Jesus lived, died, and his followers claimed he rose from the dead. It is the single best attested event in all of ancient history. But you try and tell people, oh, think. Say what Paul says. Think. This is why you get guys like Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, investigative reporter. He sets out to prove the resurrection isn't true. Becomes a Christian. Because it is true. This is why there's a guy named uh, Warner Wallace. He was a cold case police investigator. Wife became a Christian. Drove him crazy. He's like, you're a moron. 
Why do you believe this? She's like, well, okay, look, it's a cold case. They, somebody's dead. There's no body. They, these guys claim he's alive. You know, people do that all the time. Right? Oh, my wife left me, but I'm sure she's alive. You know he killed her. Great. Prove it. Prove that he's still dead. The guy became a Christian because the resurrection of Christ is an incredibly well-attested fact in the ancient world. It's what people wrote about. Again, far more evidence. If, if anyone ever says to you, oh, I don't think Jesus was really a person, then they can't possibly believe Julius Caesar ever existed. They probably shouldn't believe in the Roman Empire because I'm not sure we have as many sources for Augustus as we do for Christ. It is history. Paul says, Galatians, think. Use, you're not using your minds. You're not using your intellects. You know these things are true. You know Jesus was crucified. You know that's a fact. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate you letting me rant like that, okay? We've now finished verse one, so I hope you don't have anywhere to go because we got 13 more. Paul's like, you know this is true, but someone has told you, oh no, this, look over here. Don't, don't look at that. Wow, don't believe people when they try and pull that on you. No, Jesus was a real person. He lived, he died, he rose again. Again, if you think the French conquered England in the Battle of Hastings, you have far more faith than if you think Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says, think. And now he's going to continue. He's going to ask him some more questions. Verse 2. So tell me this thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? He's saying, think back. Think to your life before. So for the, the Jews, think to your life when you, you were on that treadmill of obeying the law and then you disobey and, and you have to offer sacrifices and you obey the law and you disobey and you have to offer sacrifices. Or to the Greeks, think about when you were on that treadmill. You're, you're a fisherman, so you worship Poseidon. So you, you get up every day and there's a shrine to Poseidon in your house and you offer him some food and you pour out a little wine and, and you do the hymns and you go through all the rituals and, and what do you do the next day? Well, you do it again because Poseidon might be mad at you. Maybe he's happy with you for yesterday, but he might be mad at you today. When you were on that treadmill over and over and over again, he said, then what changed? Did you start doing something different? Did you do some new ritual and everything changed? It's like, no, what happened? Because remember, he planted this church. It's like, you heard me tell you that this was a gift. That God wanted you to get off that treadmill as much as you did. This is a gift. I told you that. When you believed it, that's when things changed. You foolish Galatians, but again, same word, unthinking. Guys, you're not thinking. You began by the Spirit. Now you're trying to finish by the works again? Like you were on that treadmill and you know it never went anywhere and you got off and now you had God's Spirit and you knew that things had changed and so you think to yourself, oh, I'll get on the treadmill again. Think. Paul says, you know, there's that quote, it's been attributed to lots of people, that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. If that quote had existed, I'm confident Paul would have used it in his day. Because that's what he's saying to them. Like, you tried this, you know it doesn't work. You changed, and you know that was different. Now, why are you going back to this and thinking, oh, it's all going to be better now. It's all going to be different. Again, think, he says to them. You're not thinking. Think about the reality of what happened to Jesus. Think about your life. Think about what your life was for. Think about what it was again. He asked him five. Again, so I'm asking you, again, another question. Look, right now, what's happening in your body right now? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law 
or because you believe him. Like somebody in your body is sick, what do you do? Do you all go out and do a bunch of sacrifices and you do a bunch of songs and you do a bunch of rituals and then, oh, the person's healed? Or do you ask? Because you know God cares about you and is involved in you. Do you trust? Do you believe him? Do you go to his spirit and ask his spirit to act? What, what, What happens when you did all those sacrifices and all those things? Compare that to now when you just ask. You know he's there. You know he listens. You know he has your spirit. You're not thinking, he tells them. And then in 6 through 9 and in 10 through 12, he's going to make two different arguments. So he's going to make an argument for faith and he's going to make an argument against the law. So in 6 through 9, he starts out talking about Abraham. Remember, there's these guys saying, oh, you got to be circumcised. Sure, faith, of course, very important. But there's so much more Paul didn't tell you about. And probably they're going back to the Old Testament law and Moses. I mean, we don't know. We don't have a copy of what they say except from what other people say about them. We don't know exactly what their words are. We're kind of putting them together. But presumably, they're going back to the Old Testament saying, look, look what Moses said. You've got to be circumcised. Look, Abraham was circumcised. Right? Abraham himself, the father of the Jews, he was circumcised. Of course you have to be circumcised. And so Paul goes back even before them. Abraham was circumcised when he was 99 years old. It's a sign of the covenant. And Paul pulls out here, yeah, but the covenant happened 25 years earlier. The covenant, when God made that promise to Abraham. Abraham says to God, look, you've blessed me, but I have no children. I'm just going to give this to my servants. I have no one to to, to pass this on to. And God says, you will absolutely pass it on to your children. I I promise you, you will have kids. In fact, tells them, look up at the night sky. You, You will have more descendants than there are stars you can see. And, and scripture, the Genesis, the Old Testament says, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him. God considered it righteous. It's an accounting term. He credited righteousness to Abraham's balance. Now, you all know in accounting, right, there's debits and credits. We get the debit at the end of the passage. It's not here yet. But it's credited. Righteousness that Abraham didn't have is credited to him. Because when God said, I'm going to do this, Abraham said, well, okay. I mean, if, if you remember back in 219 when we did Romans, right? I mean, Paul spends a chapter on this argument. Here, he's just tossing it out. This is probably five years before he'll write the book of Romans. But he's appealing to, I think, the same thing these guys who are arguing appealing to. Them. Look, Abraham had to get circumcised. Paul's like, sure, Abraham got circumcised, but it was after he became a Christian, quote unquote. It was after he believed God. It, it was afterwards. It wasn't before. And all those descendants that God said he would have, it's not just the physical ones it's everyone who does what he did everyone who believes like he believed paul says those are his spiritual children just like isaac and then isaac said those are his physical children so he makes this remarkable statement in verse eight the scriptures foresaw they saw in advance that god would justify the gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to abraham the gospel what he's been talking about since the beginning The the good news that you're saved by God alone. Paul says the gospel, the thing I'm talking about, the thing that maybe these guys are telling people, oh, you know, Paul, he doesn't tell you the whole truth. He kind of makes up stuff and all. Paul's saying to them, the gospel is in Genesis chapter 15. I didn't make it up. It didn't start here. This has always been God's plan. God has always dealt with people through faith. Always Always, always. He dealt with Abraham. And Paul's writing in, you know, probably like the, well, the late 40s AD or somewhere in there. Abraham's 2000 BC. I mean, he's ancient history for these guys, much less for us. 
And Paul's saying 2,000 years ago, this is how God dealt with people, through faith. He's looking for people who will believe him. He's not looking for people who do it all right all the time. We don't. Nobody does who get into that as we go along. Paul says this is always, long before there was the law, long before there was circumcision, God was at work in people looking for folks who believe him. It's always the way he's worked. And then Paul flips the argument. So in six through nine, he's talking about, look, faith. Faith has always been how God dealt with people. The gospel was there back at the beginning of Genesis. And then he flips it to say, okay, let's take it your way. Let's talk about works of the law. What happens if you've decided, hey, okay, I'm I'm not gonna trust Jesus to do this. I'm gonna take care of this part myself. Paul says, okay, great. So what happens to people who try and keep the law? Wow, you gotta keep all of it, every single bit. You know, if I'm taking a trip and I'm going on 10 roads and I drive the speed limit on the first nine and then I go up 20 miles an hour over on the second and the cop pulls me over, I don't get to say to him, officer, nine out of 10, I did, that's a 90. You should, I'm an A, you should be praising me. You can't give me a ticket. Uh Uh-uh, you break the law anywhere, you've broken the law. You're in trouble. Like, that's the way the world works. These people are saying, oh, no, you need, you need to follow the Old Testament law. It's like Paul goes, okay, have at it. Here you go. Hope you got this memorized. Hope you never mess up ever. Did you know, in the Old Testament, there are sacrifices for sin. If you mess up, you make a sacrifice. But there's one kind of sin there's no sacrifice for. Intentional sin. When you accidentally mess up, you can make up for that. When you intentionally choose to do what is wrong, there's no sacrifice. That can't be covered up. That can't be taken care of. You're just in trouble. Paul says, hey, you want, you want to save yourself? Here you go, have at it. Because if you don't keep every single part of it, then you are cursed. You will suffer the punishment. That's what happens in the world. You rob one bank, but you don't rob 20. Hey, that's not a 95. You go to jail for robbing a bank. Boom. Doesn't matter that you did it right the first 19 that you passed. You break the law anywhere. You are a lawbreaker. Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in this book. And again, Paul's quoting the Old Testament, probably because these guys who are there are saying, Ah, Paul hasn't told you the whole truth. Look here, Abraham had to be sacrificed. Look here, Moses and the law. Look here at this. So Paul's Paul's using the scriptures against him, I think. He's going back like, yeah, let's talk about what the scriptures say about your needing to obey the law. Because you don't get to cherry pick. You don't get to say, okay, yeah, circumcision, I'll obey that. And kosher, ooh, I do like a good burger on the 4th of July. Ooh, tassels, yeah, I'll wear tassels on my coat, excellent. You don't get to decide, Paul says, which ones you gonna pick. You do all of them, or you're a lawbreaker. And if you're a lawbreaker, then you're gonna suffer. Then you're cursed. Verse 11, look, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, the righteous live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk. But the law isn't faith, the law says, the person who does these will live. He's quoting the law, Leviticus. Like, these are your two options, Paul says. And isn't that true in real life? 
I mean, if I get a call from the bank saying, oh, Mr. Jansen, we have a problem with your church account and we've frozen it and you need to call us and blah, 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 right? And Cherie comes up to me and says, hey, Jeff, let me take care of that. I'll talk to him. I got two choices, don't I? One is I let her. Great, thank you very much. And it's not my problem anymore. And the other is I say, no, no, I'll take care of that. And then I got to do it. If I don't do it, there's going to be consequences. Either I let somebody else do it or I do it. Those are the two ways to live, Paul says. You live by faith. You trust God. I mean, faith, trust, believe, they're all the same word in his world. You trust God. God says he will do this. You trust him to do it. He says Jesus has taken care of it. You trust that Jesus has taken care of it. He says you're righteous. You believe that you're righteous. Or you work it out. You do it yourself. You start going through here back at the beginning. I don't know if you've ever read Exodus, but right about the middle of it, you start to get into the laws, and it just runs right on through Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy means second law because you get them again. So, you know, if you want to start small, you could just do Deuteronomy first because it's kind of the abbreviated one, and then you could work your way into the whole big one. But those are your two options, Paul says. Those are two ways to live. You live by faith. You live by trust. You live by belief or you work it out yourself and wow, quite literally God help you if you mess up because you are cursed. And then Paul will end this section where he's like, think, like think about what you're saying. When you say, oh sure, I'm saved by faith in Christ and being circumcised. I'm saved by faith in Christ and keeping the law. Think about what you're saying. You're saying you'll do everything correctly. He finishes these last couple verses and 13, 12, 13, 14, he rolls it back. Remember we talked about earlier that it's credited to Abraham as righteousness. And then we get the debit in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus becomes the curse. He's the debit. We are credited with righteousness. Even though it's, it's his righteousness, it, it, it's his credit and our debit. And they get switched. That's the other side of the equation. Now remember, he hasn't talked about Jesus since the very beginning in verse 2. You've heard me say this before. These guys don't make arguments the way we do. We're linear. A, B, C, conclusion. A, subpoint 1, subpoint 2, B, subpoint 1. These guys tend to make circles. They tend to end up where they began. And so notice he's going to do this. Christ redeemed us for the curse of the law by becoming a curse. He talked about Jesus Christ. The, last, the only time he's talked about Jesus before is in verse 1. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, that's verses 6 and 7, he's referencing back to them, might come to all the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That's back to the beginning again. He's circling back at the end. That's how you know that he's tying up this part of his argument and he's going to move on to the next one. And in the next one, he's probably going to do the same thing. You've heard me say, you know, if you watch these guys make arguments, they kind of go like this. They still move forward, but they tend to go forward and then back and then forward and then back. And he closes it up that way, reminding them again, here's the things you need to think about. Here's the things that are important. Christ was crucified. You have the spirit. You know these things are true. Think, Paul says. You need to think. So let me ask you, like, where do you need to think differently about your faith? Like, as we were going through and talking about some of these things, are there any one of them where you felt like the Spirit was nudging you? Is there any one of them where you thought, oh, yeah, I, I, I do that, don't I? 
You know, thinking about Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing the scriptures. Paul seems to assume when he tosses these things out that, that they'll understand it. He just quotes, Abraham believed God, it was credited as righteous. He doesn't even say where it's from. Like, do you know that that's before circumcision? Like, have you, have you read Genesis? Have you read the Gospels? Do you know these things? I mean, it's not the first time you've heard me say this. It won't be the last time, right? The single best thing you can ever do to grow as a Christian is just read the scriptures. Just every day. Just a little bit. I mean, you read, what, like three chapters a day every day? You'll read the whole Bible every year. Just make your way through the scriptures over and over again so that you can think about them well. Or else somebody's going to come up and throw to you, you know, oh, well, you know, the scriptures say such and such and so and so. Man, the number of times people tell me the scripture says things and I say, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say, where, where is that? Oh, I don't know, but it's somewhere. I don't think so. Let's go look that up. Let's go Google that. I bet you'll find that Jesus never said we should stone people. Very confident of that. You read it. You just, you just read it. Do you think correctly? Is there anywhere in here? Like, you need to think differently about your faith. You know, that, that it is so easy to get off the treadmill of, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to, and then get back on again and think that this is how we relate to God. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. Oh, okay, now I'm a Christian. Sure, I'm saving my faith. Now I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. No, you don't. You get to. You don't got to. You get to. But the scandal of Christianity, the things that just drives people crazy, is God has saved you. It doesn't matter what you ever do. You can betray that. You can wander away. You can never obey him. God has saved you. It is a unilateral promise on his behalf. Now, if you walk away from that, I'm going to question whether you ever knew God in the first place. But there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. God loves you. If you are a follower of Christ, he has saved you. Full stop. Everything else is I get to. You get to obey. Oh, you still have to obey. I mean, look at what Todd talked about last week. You know, Paul comes down on Peter because he's not obeying. But, but you get to. Paul doesn't say to Peter, uh, Peter, watch out. Your salvation's in trouble, buddy. Paul doesn't say to Peter, hey, Peter, you know, um, seriously, like, uh, I don't, you can't possibly be a Christian. He says, Peter, you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He says, Peter, you are a Christian, but you're not acting like one. Start acting like one. Start living out the freedom. That's Peter's problem. He's not living freely. He's not open with the people around him. If you are saved, then that is done. It is credited. It's an accounting. It, it's, it's finished. And now we get to obey. Now, are there places where you need to think differently about your faith? If you're not a Christian, I mean, the first place you got to think is that God has done this. That what Paul says, that, that God offers you a free gift, that God wants to credit you with righteousness, because it says, it says that throughout all the Old Testament. God says that to Ezekiel. You know, in 5-600 BC, God says to Ezekiel, I don't want anyone to perish. I want everyone to turn to me and live. If you don't think that, that's the first thing you got to do. You just got to tell him that. Like, like yeah, I, I believe. Jesus, yes, I, I believe you became a curse for me so that 
you could credit me with righteousness. That's the first thing that we think. And then Paul challenges us here. All these other areas. Is there anywhere you need to think differently? Anywhere in your Christian life, you're not thinking. Like, you're not thinking out the consequences. Like Paul says, look, faith, this is the way God works. Law, oh my gosh, think about what that means. Think about what that's going to mean if you live like that. Any place you need to change how you think. I'm going to pray first, as I always do. I'm going to ask God's spirit to speak to us. If there's places where we're not, we're, 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 we're foolish, as Paul would say. We're not thinking. There's places where we need to think Differently. See if the Lord says anything to you. See if the Spirit prompts anything. Something that we talked about. Something when we read the passage. Hey, if God says something to you that I never said, I will not be offended in the least. It is his book and he can do whatever he wants with it. So let's pray. Thanks, Lord. I mean, and thanks that you want us to use our minds. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, as someone who lives in his mind so much, I appreciate that you consider that a high value as well. You want us to think. When people challenge us, you want us to think that, that, that there are good reasons for all of these things, that, 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 that there, are, there are consequences when we turn away. You want us to think. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me. Are there ways we're not thinking? Are there ways we're not thinking right about our faith? Maybe there's some of the ones that Paul confronts here. Maybe they're different. That, that is between you, Holy Spirit, and your people. But are there any ways we need to think differently? Do we not know the scriptures enough to think about them? Do we need to be reading them? Do we need, do we need to be putting them into our heart and our mind? Lord, I, I pray for us that we would be people who think. I mean, you tell us in scripture that we should be able to answer people when they question us. And so I pray for us that that would be true. That, that we are people who think. That, that we have considered these things. That, that we know the realities of you, Jesus, as a person who, who walked and lived and died and rose again. That, that we recognize the, how these things work out. That the faith is not something new. It's always how you've dealt with people. That, that living by the rules is disastrous, always. Because we never live by all of them. We never keep them all. We always, sooner or later, have to be forgiven because we've intentionally decided to do something we know is wrong. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Speak to us now as we take communion. Speak to us later as we sing again. Speak to us as we, we disperse and go back to our homes and, and our lives. How do you want us to think differently, Lord? And we pray this in your name. Always, Jesus. We always pray in your name. Because we're yours. Amen.